Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the Plodcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. Uh, this is episode 264, and I'm glad you're with us. Uh, thanks for coming along. Uh, what I wanted to talk about initially here in this podcast is the fact that grace has the blueprints. Grace is intelligent. Too many Christians think of grace as an, sort of an impersonal joy juice. It's sort of like this spiritual fluid that you get your tank full and it makes you happy and 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 you and enables you to run. It's like a a joy juice gasoline and it it fuels you up and down the road you go. But grace is a builder. Grace is an architect. Grace has the blueprints. Grace assembles things. Grace stacks different elements in your life and stacks them in the right order. I recently wrote about this on my blog, uh, quoting Augustine, uh, where Augustine defines virtue as rightly ordered loves. So every, every one of us, when we go out the front door in the morning, uh, are confronted with numerous things, countless things, that, claim, that have a claim on our attention, on our time, on our allegiance, uh, whatever. So, uh, the the traffic light demands your attention. The traffic itself demands your attention. You get to work. Your boss demands your attention. You get a text from your wife, uh, and she's got a problem with your teenage son. And you've got all these things coming at you, right? And what virtue does is it prioritizes. What virtue does is it sorts. It it knows how to work through the. Uh, field hospital of your life and knows how to do triage. This here is the most important thing right now. This here can wait. This other thing, uh, maybe we'll see. We'll come back in 15 minutes and check on it. So grace is not an impersonal force. It's not like electricity. It's not like lightning. It's not like gasoline. In fact, if uh, this is something I've said in other uh, settings, but every epistle in the New Testament begins with the uh, salutation, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And this observation I'm about to make goes back to Jonathan Edwards, but I think there's something to it. It's really curious. I think one epistle says grace, peace, and mercy, um, but all of them say grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's, what's curious there is that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned by name. It's grace and peace from God the Father and God the Son, and God the Spirit is not mentioned. Jonathan Edwards accounted for this by saying he thought that the Holy Spirit is mentioned, and the Holy Spirit is the grace and peace. So, And, and that would line up with um, the Nicene Creed in, the, um, in its Western form, where we have, in the West, we have the filioque, the the phrase, and the Son. So the Holy Spirit, in the original Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. And in the Western Church, they adopted the additional phrase, filioque, which means and the Son. The, Fa- the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So when the letters begin, grace and peace to you, 
from God the Father and God the Son, that would be uh, a proof text for that, that teaching. So grace and peace is a person. Grace and peace, and, and being a person, has will, intention, desires, plans, and so on. So when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, he is knitting something together. And if you know any knitters, you know that it's something that requires a high degree of intelligence. You have to have a plan. You have to have a pattern. You have to know how many stitches you put on. You can't just refuse to count and hope it turns out. It's, it's something you have to know and understand, right? Well, in Colossians 2, it says that uh, we are being knit together to the head. This is something the Holy Spirit is doing, knitting us together with the head. Well, when we are being knit together with the head, what, that, what is being knit together is our affections, our affections, our loves, our loyalties are being structured by the Holy Spirit and being put in the places where they ought to be. Now, here's the, here's the one difference. A knitter just is dealing with an inanimate ball of yarn, and that's complicated enough. But God has set himself a very uh, challenging task. Well, he wants to knit a sweater, and he wants the task to be the sort of task where the yarn fights back. Or when I wrote about this recently, I, he's a painter. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's poema. We are God's art project. We are God's craft. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But if we're God's painting, we're the kind of painting that resists, that fights back. We're the kind of painting that gets into the paint box ourselves and smudges everything up. So what we need to do, and it will go circling back to Colossians 2, where it says we're being knit together into the head. Well, uh, if the Holy Spirit is doing that work and structuring our loves and our loyalties, and he's the one doing it, what's our role? Well, our, our role is to not get in the way. Our role is to not get underfoot. Our role is to cooperate with what he's doing. And the way, we, the way we cooperate, and you can see this in Colossians 2, right before it says that we're being knit together into the head, and right after it says that we're being knit together into the head, it tells us to avoid legalisms, avoid will worship, avoid things that mankind, man, cooked up on his own authority. Always will be God. So, continuing on with the podcast, episode 264, uh, as we continue our study of sin in the New Testament, which we're calling Hamartiology 101, we come to a word that is not sinful in itself, but the one use of it in the New Testament refers to something that is exceedingly sinful. The word is epifrizo, epifrizo, which means to foam out, means to foam out. This is obviously not a sin when waves do it. But Jude uses this word in a striking metaphor, referring to certain false teachers. He speaks of them as, quote, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's Jude 13. So let me read that again. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In other words, shame flies off of them the same way that foam flies off the crest of a wave. It's natural. It's inevitable. It is something that is going to happen. The waves are the sin 
and the foam is their shame. The wave is their sin, and the foam is their shame. This is something they are committed to, and then the shame that is attendant uh, with the sin that they are guilty of embracing is a shame that they don't mind having being open and out there. It's the crest of the wave. It, it foams out. God don't never change. He's God. So, continuing on with our podcast, episode 264, come to a book called The Air We Breathe by a gent named Scrivener. The Air We Breathe by Scrivener. Now, this is a, this is a book that uh, I really enjoyed. The book is about how thoroughly Christianized the Western world is. The Western world is thoroughly Christian and, and doesn't recognize how thoroughly Christian it is. The Western world doesn't realize how radically different we are from the ancient pagan world. And there are a number of uh, places, there are a number of uh, examples that the author picks up, uh, you know, just the, the attitude that they used to have toward uh, something like the gladiatorial games and our attitude today toward any such thing. We'd be absolutely appalled by it, right? So, what Scrivener does is he gives a very, very good description of what the ancient world was like, and he shows, illustrates, and I think proves how it was the Christian faith and the influence of Jesus of Nazareth that has um, utterly transformed everything. Now, and so here's the caveat. There are a handful of places where, and, and fortunately only a handful, where uh, he'll grab a modern example of someone who is operating in the Spirit of Christ, and I didn't think that person was all as, uh, my assessment of that person was not as lofty as Scrivener's was. <laughs> but even though I differed with some of the examples he used, it really didn't touch his point. His point was still solid. His point was still uh, made. So, and and some of my objection had to had to do with things like uh, personal hypocrisies. So, w- whether it was um, uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. or Martin Luther King Jr. was a an inspiring and lofty uh, speaker, but he was uh, routinely unfaithful to his wife and. And a plagiarist, and just you know, there were all kinds of personal inconsistencies. But he was a figure of uh, significance and a very inspiring figure. And the rhetoric that he used was rhetoric that was very much in line with Scrivener's thesis. In other words, the point stands. Uh, but the way he referred to Martin Luther King Jr. was, uh, I think, a bit too adulatory for my taste. And the same sort of thing with George Floyd, uh, the the gentleman who was uh, who died in the hands of the Minneapolis uh, police. The fact that that was an unfortunate tragedy do- doesn't make George Floyd Floyd into a moral hero, which he he most certainly was not. So, but a few things like that where I just I didn't like the examples. The other examples he used were really on point, 
really reinforced his point, made his point well. And, uh, you know, if you, if you like the way the world runs, if you like our justice system, if you like our sense of an obligation to philanthropy, if you, you know, there are any number of things where you look around the modern world, if you like that, thank a Christian. And that, and that's what it boils down to. Um, this is, this is the legacy of Christendom. This is something that Christians have specialized in over the years. And um, uh, it's just a very healthy topic. It's, it's something that non-believers, I think, need to be reminded of um, more than once, probably.